Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, In your bulletins, uh, you may have been wondering why I was reading certain parts of the gospel (laughs) that aren't in there. Um, I I think we ran out of room, but we needed to have those uh, verses 42 through 45, well, 42 through 45 in there, because it's very important. Um, And you might have been a little jarred when you read which one of you convicts me of sin, but then you hear me talking about liars and the devil and all these things like that. But these things are important um, that at the time of our gospel text in uh, John's gospel, Jesus is dealing with the Jews in the temple who are adamant about their heritage, but their heritage is mistaken. In fact, it's outright wrong because If their heritage is one from the father of the faith, that is, that is, that is from Abraham, then they would, they would receive Christ, but they don't. They seek to kill him. And because they seek to kill him, it shows that their father is not God, but the devil. And this brings about a very important point that a lot of people don't necessarily think about, maybe not even Christians who are wayward don't think about this, but they should. That the God that you want may not be the God that you get. The Messiah that you want may not be the Messiah that you get if the Messiah you want is not according to God's word and promises. I remember uh, I used, well, I still listen to a lot of podcasts, but one of the podcasts I used to listen to a lot was um, Fighting for the Faith, and it was a lot of apologetics and um, dealing with false teaching in the church, Um, and one of the things they would have is they had this uh, kind of radio theater kind of play where uh, it was uh, someone someone would go into a shop, and the shop was like a Build-A-Bear, but it was a Build-A-God, you know, a Build-A-God shop. And they go in there, and they say, you know, then the person behind the desk, I've never been to a Build-A-Bear. My wife has been. I, I have no idea how it works, but apparently it's true to the account of what you do. You go in there, and you say, I want this kind of bear. But in this, in this case, it's I want this kind of God. And okay, what do you want your God to be? I want him to be loving. And I want him to accept people and, and, and do all these things for me. And they say, well, that's fantastic. So do you want your God to be a judgmental God? Oh, no, my God wouldn't be judgmental. My God would love. And by love, I mean he would just let me do whatever I want, right? And then they go through the steps and they say, it's like, would they accept this, that, or the other? And they say, oh, God would be accepting of all things. My God would be accepting of all things because he's love. And then they say, well, this is all coming together just beautifully. Now, what do you want your God to be named? And they say, hmm, I think I want my God to be named Jesus, right? That oftentimes we look at Jesus and we only see what we want to see. We look at Jesus and we say, I want him to be 
what I want him to be. I want him to be loving. And to be loving means he would not judge me. I want him to accept me in all the things that I do because I don't want to be told that I'm a sinner. No one's that crass, but that's the underlying assumption, right? That's the underlying thing that really is a snare. That in this world, if we were confronted with Jesus himself, I think we would find a lot of people, Christians especially, who would seek to kill him because he would be saying a lot of things that would make them very uncomfortable. I've heard recently that, you know, Jesus, if you were to take all of what Jesus said in the Gospels and just read those, there's a lot of Gospel, but there's a lot of law. And in fact, there's a reason why Jesus at the end of Matthew's Gospel says, baptize all people and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And Jesus even says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. This is not legalistic in that just do as you're told and everything will be fine. This is to say that you who are redeemed by Christ, you who have had his blood shed for you, you cannot do the things you used to do. If you engaged in sexual immorality, if you engaged in horrible doctrines like abortion, thinking that it's okay to murder your child in the womb, if you go along and think to yourself that that I can just do whatever I want with my body, being a Christian, that is not so. You do not belong to yourself. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Here we see that it is a stark contrast of belief and unbelief. That we see that those who think that they're on the right trail are not. That the Jews who oppose Jesus, they say that he has a demon. They do not accept what he says. And he says, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That in and of ourselves, apart from God... We are liars, we are blasphemers, we are unbelievers, we are of the devil. And sadly, there are probably many Christians who still sympathize with the devil. I know that's a Rolling Stones song, but you know, you shouldn't have sympathy for the devil. The devil is judged and he is defeated. And yet, if you still cling to pushing against Jesus and what he says for your life, if you still push against him telling you to live a godly and pious life, to be careful what you do as a child of God, to act as a child of God, if you keep pushing against him, you are in danger. Because Jesus wants you to be who he made you to be. He wants you to be the fullness of creation. He came as true man to redeem us, 
who are fallen. We have God's image, but it is marred. It is distorted. It is disgusting in comparison to God because sin has corrupted it, because sin has made us no longer beautiful in his sight. And so he sends his son, his only son, to die for us so that our so that we would be redeemed and made God's pure creation again. Yet Satan comes and he tempts man not just to sin, but to cease to be man, to be something other than what God had ordained him to be. Satan comes and he wants people to use their bodies for whatever they want. He wants them to think that God is a liar, that God would hold back on you all sorts of good things, that when God tells you don't do these things for your good, Satan says, that's not for your good. God's holding back on you because if this is what you want, you should have it. Tempting man to cease from being man includes not just the, the outright lies that the world wants us to drink down, but it includes the obscure ones. When you look at them, it's not so obscure. That in our world, we have a real problem with, oh, and you're probably going to want to stone me for this, we have a real problem with rampant birth control. And people might say I'm a radical for that, but we have a real problem in that our churches are dying. Our churches are dying, and we are told, don't have too many kids by the culture. Don't have too many kids, and whether it's for, over, whether it's for overpopulation or, or just because you've got to live the life that you want to live. We are using our bodies as we see fit and shunning the good gifts that would come from God as a result of the marital union. And that extends to abortion and things like that because even certain birth control can abort a child. And yet we've played so fast and loose with these things that we see them as obscure, that the church has pretty much always shunned birth control at least until about the 1960s. And you gotta, you gotta ask yourself, what happened then? I'll leave that for you to fill in the blanks. Did we stay faithful to God or did we start to do what the world wanted us to do? And that's not an easy thing to say because there's all sorts of rationales for these things. I've heard them all, but None of them really get to the issue of whether or not you are actually being faithful to God's word, whether or not you trust him that children are a blessing, whether or not you trust him that in Psalm 127, he says that blessed is, uh, I'm drawing a blank here, that's a shame, I know Psalm 127, um, that he says that blessed is the man, here we go. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a, is a 
reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And then in Psalm 128, that says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And yet, deciding how many children we want to have, even if you want to have a whole mess of them, I think I've fallen into that trap. I want to have a whole bunch of kids, but I have to remember that the Lord is the one who opens and closes the womb. That children are his gift and they're not something for us to take for our own or to procure according to our own standards. Blessed shall you be who fears God, that you may see your children's children. Peace be upon his church. That may seem obscure, but when you dive into God's word and you see that God does not lie about these things, God tells you everything you need to know about these things, that we see that we have been lied to by Satan in also more ways than one than just that one, that um, one thing I wanted to tackle today was an issue of modesty. We live, in a, we live in a world that has shunned modesty wholesale. I've told y'all before, we don't have a TV in our home. Well, that's not true. We have a TV. It's in the attic. Um, it's in the attic right now, and we're probably going to get rid of it soon because we found our lives to be so much more peaceful without all of the intrusion of the commercials and the things people are trying to sell you and so, so on and so forth. But one of the things that we really don't want to have is a bunch of issues of modesty shown on a screen and have us to talk to our children about it and say, that's not what you do. It's not that we're going to sh save them forever from these things, but it gives us the control to talk to them in the right way about it. And one of the hard things about living in Fredericksburg, and I'll just say it, I know it's going to be a, kind of a hard thing to hear for some people, but we have a lot of people coming through this town. And one of the hard things to deal with is the immodesty that you see walking down the street. I don't want to be mean, but I will be truthful that walking down Main Street in Fredericksburg on a weekend is like watching Proverbs Proverbs. 11.22 play out in real time. And if you don't know what Proverbs, if you don't know what Proverbs 11.22 is, I'll read it. Um, keep in mind, it's a proverb and, and uh, well, I try not to sugarcoat it. Like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. There are beautiful people out in the world but in terms of flaunting their beauty in, in shunning modesty. And also in this town, we have a lot of problems with drunkenness too, a lot of wineries, a lot of breweries and things. And it's a problem. And maybe we've, we've become numb to it. Maybe it's become so commonplace. Or maybe you don't like going down on Main Street. I don't really like going on Main Street very much during the weekends. Traffic's terrible and... And the people cross through the streets when they shouldn't, right? But still, I mean, I mean, you have a lot of people who shun these things of God, who do not, who do not adorn themselves with grace and God's 
goodness. But they don't show discretion. So those are a few ways that we have been told that some things are just no big deal. We've bought certain lies and said that God doesn't really care about them. My God wouldn't punish someone for what they wear. Well, I mean, I'm not here to draw a line, but I do know when it's over it, right? And so do we all. We have our standards and cultures and standards change over time, but in terms of modesty and wisdom, we can use God's word. We can adhere to what he says. We can keep his word, and therefore we will never see death. That we who are baptized have eyes to see and ears to hear. That we hear God's word. Those who are his baptized children hear his word, and they don't shun him. They don't seek to destroy Christ. They don't seek to snuff him out. To, so to seek to snuff out God's word is to seek to kill Christ, the word made flesh. If there's one part of his word that it just doesn't make you very comfortable and you just don't want to hear it ever again and you don't ever want to have it be part of your life, then you might as well just get rid of all of it. You might as well just get rid of all of it. If you cannot bear to hear one small piece, all of it, it means nothing for you eventually. Eventually, you may find yourself saying down the road, well, all of God's word just really bothers me. Because all that it has to say is about godliness. And who is godly for us but Christ? That if anyone keeps his word, he will never see death. He conquered death for us so that we would trust his word and live forever. That when we read his word, we are not the ones who interpret it, but it interprets us. God's word does not conform to our will and our standard. We conform to it. And that is hard. And it is not something God asks us to do alone or by ourselves he does not say, keep this or you will die. Well, he does, but he says it has already been kept for you in Christ. That God demands perfection, and we cannot give it. And yet he gave one who is perfect for us, so that we would hear that perfect one's word, which is truth, and say amen. Thanks be to God. And therefore, we glorify God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who moves us to faith in the first place. To keep the word of Jesus is to hold true to our identity as his, as, as his, his, his disciples. That the root of that word, disciple, is discipline. He disciplines us to trust him. He chastises us as his sons and his daughters, so that we would be strengthened, so that we would know that every good thing comes from him, so that we would not try to snuff out his word, so that we would not try to seek to murder Christ for what he says, but we would trust in him and be the ones who are sought out for murder because we tell the world what it needs to hear and the world can't stand it. And yet, God will 
save us. He already has. He has given his son to die for us. We glorify him and we are made glorious because he is glorious. And this is all pure gift. We trust in the one true God, the great I am, who is Christ. And he has saved you from being just this dead sinner who does whatever he wants. And he has made you one who is a child of God who now can truly do his will. Thanks be to God because of his blood that was shed for us. Thanks be to God who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God to purify our conscience from dead works to serve him. So let us trust in him. Let us hear his word. Let us conform ourselves to what he says so that we may be changed to be his good creation and be, and, and be restored to, to the people that he has called us to be. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord.